Well, I'm Joel Schmidgall, and I'm our executive pastor here at National Community Church. I want to add my welcome to everyone at all of our locations, and uh, good to see you guys today. We close out our wilderness series today, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Well, this week, Nina and I sat for dinner with old friends that we haven't seen for years. And uh, in the midst of them telling us how they're doing, they started to tell us how they're really doing. And uh, we took just a few moments, and, and here's what he said. He said, man, this has been one of the hardest years of our lives. And we were kind of taken back because we haven't seen them in a while. And so they began to tell us just the, the difficulties and the emotions that they've gone through and, and the loss of a job and the, the kind of loss of some friends and, and the major health issues of children and thing after thing and just, just a brutal year. And then it was almost like a, a, a switch was flipped. And then they started to talk about but the vision that God has given us through all of this and the focus that he's given us. And, and he said, and, and the way that I've learned to love my kids in a new way and the way that our family has been united together through, and the way that I've cultivated my relationship with God through all this. And then he said this statement right here. He said, it's been one of the best experiences of my life. And it caught me off guard because how can you go from saying this is one of the hardest years of my life to saying this is the best experience of my life. How do you make that jump from here all the way over to here? Somehow a story of betrayal and pain turned into a story of hope and fruit. And it's this kingdom paradox that we see and that so many of us don't understand. And that's this, that in Christ, bad can become good. That in Christ, weakness can become strength. That in Christ, pain can become praise. That God can do all of these things within us. Now, I'm not saying this today. I'm not saying that God provides and forces all difficult situations in our life. I'm not saying that at all because we live in a place where God has given us free will. And in free will, we can choose sin. And in sin, there is consequence. And all of us live in the consequences of our own sin. And we live in the consequences of sin of people who have come before us. But I am saying this, that when you come into Christ and you take a step into faith in him, here's what happens. Your hurt can become healing. God can do a new work in you that he has not done before. We've got an incredible case study for this in the scriptures. And we come to David in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And remember, we talked about David last week, right? Well, well, since then, David has become king. And now he's raised up this incredible army. And he's expanded the borders of the nation of Israel. And he has given his life as a passionate warrior to make the the nation of Israel, a, a great nation. And we find him here, but he's older now. And his son Absalom has decided to take justice into his own hands, and he's killed a member of his family. And then he fled from David. So David comes along and he says, after about three years, he says, you know what? I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to bring him back. And he even puts him in a position, a key strategic position of power. He puts him at the very front gate where he would speak on behalf of David and with David's authority. And he begins, Absalom, to turn, uh, to kind of churn up dissension in the people without David knowing it. And then he comes to David, he says, listen, give me your blessing so I can go and worship in Hebron. And David gives his blessing and then he goes to Hebron 
And instead of worshiping, he goes there and he deceives the people into allowing him to become king of Hebron. And as soon as he does this, he turns back and has his sights on David to overthrow David, to overthrow his kingdom, and to kill David. His father, who forgave him after murder, his dad, who brought him back in, his dad, who put him in the position of power that he is now in, has decided, he has decided to go after his dad's reign, his kingdom, and his very life. And this is where we find David in the scripture right here. I'm expecting a moment, an instance of Elijah coming, coming through and, and David saying, God, just take my life now. Are you kidding me? Look at this situation. I'm expecting this moment that would be like Job where he says, woe is me. But instead, in study, we come to the book of Psalms and we see the 63rd Psalm written by David. And according to scholars, at this very moment in time, when his son is chasing him out of the palace and he's entering into the wilderness season. And here's what he said in Psalm chapter 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth, I will praise you. It doesn't sound like somebody wandering in the wilderness of Judah, does it? No, David somehow has resolved to praise when the rest of us would pout, right? And we see him, and I want us to, to camp out here. I want to live and take in and soak in the 63rd Psalm just for a few minutes today because of the principles of praise that we see David practice in the middle of the wilderness. And the first principle is this. David declares God as his God. He doesn't wonder where God is or what he's doing. He doesn't question God. No, he comes forward. He makes a declaration that God you are my God. And even though this is a part of his job description as king, to praise the Lord, this is not business. This is personal right here. And he gets personal with God. The wilderness, you know what it does? <coughs> the wilderness pushes us in to relationship. Verse 1, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I will seek you. It's not a soft-spoken statement. It's a declaration of who he is. And the very first words in the psalm in Hebrew are Elohim Eli, which means my God. It's the same phrase that we fast forward to Jesus and he's on the cross and he says this to Elohim Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's this moment in incredible pain where he says, Father, how can you allow this pain? But in the pain, I declare that you are still not just God, but you are my God. And I'm declaring your praises in this moment. And David steps forward and he makes this declaration from who he is. God, you are my God. The second part of verse 1, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. 
David's circumstances are dead, but his faith is not. He understands a kingdom principle that in death, often life sprouts out of that. And in this moment, in pain, David is drawn closer to God. My point is this, that don't curse the things or the people that lead you to God. In your wilderness season, thirst for God. Don't thirst for revenge on the person or the situation that got you into that instance. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that um, uh, one of Saul's descendants come along, comes along, and his name is Shimei. And he sees David as he enters into the wilderness, and he starts to curse at him. And then he takes stones, and he starts to throw stones at him, and stones at his men, and, and he's trying to get under their skin. And we see uh, in 2 Samuel 16, verses 9, uh, and following, here's what happens. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. This is the guy I want on my team right here. <laughs> this guy, you know, get, put him on my dodgeball team. I'll take this guy. Verse 10, but the king said, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing, because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? 11. Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be the Lord, that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. David says, if God told him to curse me, then let him curse me. Is this not opposite of everything that every one of us would do? Someone curses, oh, I'll tell you. Let me show you. I got a dodgeball right here, and it's coming at your head. We have a natural reaction to those moments. David says, no. I find peace in this place. I have faith and I have tried. And if he's going to curse me and God wants him to curse me, maybe it will lead back to covenant blessing in God. He understands something that in his suffering, in his pain, often comes the favor of God. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What you meant to hurt me, God intended for good. Whatever you use to break me down, God will use that exact same thing to build me back up. Don't pay attention to the intentions of the person who hurt you. Pay attention to the intentions of the God who sustains you. God will always test you before he will promote you. I'm giving some good stuff here. Maybe a little encouragement today. Is there an amen out there? Listen, in the midst of all of this, God's purposes do not come after you get out of the wilderness. God's purposes come right smack dab in the middle of the wilderness. He desires to accomplish his purposes in the midst of, not after things take place. And we come along, but we just, we just want to get through it. We just want to survive. No, God wants you to thrive in the midst of that. We want to close our eyes and just get through all this stuff. No, open your eyes. Look around. God is setting you up. He is building you up. He is strengthening you in the midst of all of this. He is accomplishing his purposes. And here's the thing. God is on the move. And every moment of triumph in David's life is preceded. By a moment of suffering, when he's in the midst, when he defeats Goliath, what precedes that? He is shepherding sheep in the middle of the wilderness. He, he raises up as king of a great nation. It's preceded by the fact that Saul was trying to kill him. 
He raises up Solomon to, to build this incredible temple unto God. It's preceded by his own son chasing him into the wilderness. It's a kingdom principle that success is always preceded by a wilderness season. It's always preceded by suffering. You see in the Old Testament, the Israelites, 40 years until they get to the promised land. Jesus comes along 40 days in the wilderness of temptation before he steps into his ministry. I've got good news for us today. If you are in a wilderness season today, if you're willing to embrace that season and step into the purposes of God, if you're willing to work through the muck, you're on your way to a miracle. If you're willing to push through the hurt, you're on your way to healing. Because God desires to push you through your circumstances. And any resistance, he desires for you to have resolve in the resistance to, so that you can step forward into revelation in him. Verse 2. We see in the scriptures, Psalm 63, verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. David doesn't say life is great, does he? He doesn't say life is perfect. No, he says life is life. Life is what it is, but your love is better than life. And I will not stand in the midst of life. I will stand upon your love because that is a constant. Where's your, where are you standing today? Are you standing on the midst of your life? Or are you standing in the midst of God's love that is over you? Your life will change, but God's love does not. Amen. We see in the middle of the wilderness, here's what happens. You begin to understand what your priorities are, don't you? Yeah. You begin to see who your friends are. You begin to see what's important to you. All this stuff, all the stuff begins to be stripped away off of you and begin to see what is truly important and what you can actually stand on. On Wednesday, I had the chance to chat with an amazing woman of God. And I asked her about a, a wilderness season that she went through and how she found healing in the middle of that. And she began to tell me that in the midst of hurt and pain. Here's what she said. She said, God told me that I need to live with my palms and my hands open to God. And as I live like this, there will be times where God blesses and he gives and puts things in my hands. And in that moment, don't take it. Don't pull it in. Don't say this is mine. No, just keep your hands open and enjoy that. Enjoy that. But keep them up. There will be times where I put things in your hands. There will be times where things are taken away. And so that's how I try to live my life. And she said, but, but I went through this extreme situation where it felt like things were just being taken and taken and taken. I, God, I'm trying to keep my hands open. But th so many things that are important and dear to me are taken from me. Why does it have to be that? Why is this happening in my life? And in that moment, here's what she said. She said she felt like God just prompted in her spirit. Am I not enough? Am I not enough for you? This week, came across Hebrews 1.10 in my reading. I can never read that verse without being transported in my emotional spirit to a place of, of loss of life. And it's Hebrews 1.10. Uh, in the beginning, the foundations of the earth were established. The heavens are the work of your hands, God. But all of that will perish and you will remain. 
Where's your foundation today? What are you standing on? What's your foundation? Is your foundation in the things of God and the works of God, which are all good? Or is your foundation in God and God alone? In the midst of an incredible loss for me, losing my dad, it, man, it, I fell on my face. It was rough. And I realized this, that, that it wasn't just about losing my dad. It was about losing my foundation. And I think, you know, there's a good thing in that. Like for my kids, I want to be a constant for my kids. But if I'm their foundation, someday they're going to end up on their face just like I did. Listen, wherever your foundation is, whether you have a foundation on something good, whether you have a foundation on something bad, it doesn't matter. Unless you have a foundation on something eternal, you have a day of reckoning that is coming in your life where you will end up on your face and you will be confronted because all things in this world will perish. Hebrews 1. All things except for the eternal, the immortal God who is, who was, and is to come, and who is God in love, love that is for us. When? This day, today, all days, anytime you're ready to step into it, if you're ready to step forward in faith. Can we step towards God today? And so she lifted her hands. God. I will keep open hands to you and I will praise you in the midst of this season, God. And she said, in, in those days and in that season, as hard as it was, God showed himself to me in a new way that I had never known him before. And I'm grateful for that season. Are we able to lift our hands to God and say, God, give and take away. But whatever is taken, God, I will lift my hands in praise to you. Even in the midst of hard pain in my life, I will still praise you. And I will make that choice. David, in the midst of his pain, raises up a voice in verse 3. He says, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, listen to this right here, I will lift up my hands. Sometimes in the midst of trial and pain. You just need to speak God's praises. You need to just release it. Even if your mind isn't there in praise, you just decide, I'm going to do it anyway. And when you do it, when you put yourself in a place of praise, God then responds and he brings the rest of you around to that. There's something about using your voice to praise God that changes the rest of who you are. This last week, the campus pastor sat with a friend and a a uh, local pastor named Tommy Hinson. And he shared about some of his course, his graduate coursework in psychotherapy. And uh, here's what he said. He, he shared about their experimental work with physical posture and the ability to achieve breakthrough. Now, we tend to take the spiritual and the emotional categories of life, and we feel like those are completely separate compartments from the physical, right? And so they had this different premise, uh, premise that they kind of put forward that these are much more interconnected than we actually think. And so he said, we just started asking subjects to put themselves in certain positions and to see what would happen in the course of these counseling sessions. And so as it, he, as he said, as they did this, they found prof profound results. So someone, for example, who came in for month after month after month, and they asked questions, and they counseled, and they tried to give advice, and, and there was just no breakthrough whatsoever. All of a sudden, they asked him 
to crawl up in a ball and to go in a corner. And they ask him the very same questions that they had asked for the previous months. And all of a sudden, something just happens. This emotional release is let go. And he's able to access certain emotions and go to certain places and, f- and begin the healing process in his life purely from physical posture. So they started experimenting with this. And so they put people in a place of authority, kind of a, a position standing up and looking down in a place of authority. Then they put people on their knees and then they put people in a relaxed position, just trying these different positions. And what they found is physical posture often opens up the door to the emotional categories of life. You think of how this is true in your own life and, or different examples. You know, in, in marital counseling, a, a couple is having trouble. And so you tell them, listen, why don't you just try to, try to act in love towards one another and see if the rest follows. And so you've got a husband who's extremely annoyed with his wife. And then he does something. He brings flour and he gives them and he puts them in her hand. And as soon as he does, he says this. When I released those flowers and gave those flowers, I couldn't help but feel a sense of love for my wife in that instance. Because often behavior, if you put behavior first, belief will follow that. There's a sense of cognitive dissonance that happens in us. But but if you step forward and act, then oftentimes your heart, your spirit man will follow up behind that. There are times when you are in the wilderness where you just need to step forward and speak praise to God. You need to lift up your hands. You need to get down on your knees and in a physical posture, offer yourself to God and allow your behavior to lead the rest of your belief in praise unto who he is. Verse 5, Psalm 63. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Somehow, somehow, David seems to find contentment in a place of deep hurt and frustration. And we call out, we pray to God to change our circumstances when he just wants to change our heart. And isn't it true, like, one of the greatest moments of being empowered in the spirit is when nothing around you changes except your heart. When God comes along and he just grants you peace in the midst of all of this. It's amazingly, it's a a, a moment of empowerment. Last week, we, uh, we went before the ANC Commission in Southeast D.C. to get approval for our D.C. Dream Center architectural plans. And uh, we were really excited. We had been working for four to five months with our uh, local ANC commissioner who was really excited, completely 100% on board, ready for this thing. So we're thinking we go in and just kind of get that stamp of approval. And, and I don't know if you all have been to ANC meetings, but... Uh, Maybe that wasn't that correct. <laughs> and so we go in, and I'm telling you, 10 seconds into this presentation, it's cut off. And they, think, they take things in a very different direction. And, uh, you know, sometimes your plans are not God's purposes. And uh, they went down a complete different road. And, and we were reeling. Man, we were, we were kind of disillusioned in this moment. And uh, because right before us, someone stood up and gave this report about how uh, in Ward 7 in that specific area, um, the, the numbers and the stats of kids under 18 were rising and rising, but they didn't have places to go, positive outlets for energy. 
And so we're thinking, okay, we're stand up. We got this dream center. We're part of the, the solution is we want to bring kids in, have a positive place for them to express and reach their dreams. This is, man, we are being, this is going to be perfect. And we get into it and it's tabled. And uh, which is kind of a victory, but I won't get into that. But it's, it's tabled until next month. And, and we're going, what, are, what just, are you kidding me? What just happened? And some political muscle was kind of flexed in the middle of the meeting. And, and we're, we're come out of it frustrated and a little bit disillusioned. And we came together in that moment. And, and it felt like a major setback, Right? And I remember my Ethiopian uncle, Beda Mengistu, often used to say this. Whenever you have a setback, don't take a step back because God has already prepared your comeback. And we came together and Ernest and, and us and, and others began to just pray. And in the midst of our prayer, man, God just gave us a sense of peace in the middle of this. That just because our plans don't happen exactly as they're supposed to, it doesn't mean that God's not accomplishing his purposes. And sometimes, man, you don't like to get knocked back on your rear, but it's a good thing sometimes to be knocked down to your knees, to understand that we can't do this thing on our own, but that we are dependent upon God to come and to intervene and to grant us favor. So we're back on our knees. We're believing that in the midst of this, man, even though it's hard and things don't happen the way we want, God is still moving. And it was great because uh, Isaiah, one of Ernest Mentees came along with us. He was, he was kind of at the meeting. He was getting fired up. And man, he got up to speak and they wouldn't let him speak. And so afterwards, he's kind of upset. And it was a teaching moment. You know what? Isaiah has these moments all the time where he gets knocked down on his rear. And what do you do? You got to get back up. Hey, that doesn't just happen to you. It happens to a lot of us. And now we can do this thing together. We got knocked back. What do we do? We get up. We don't get mad. We don't hit back. We don't curse back. What do we do? We stand up and step into God's purposes. We love our enemies. We, we care for the community. We stand on Romans 8.28 for all things. Come on, somebody. For the hardships, work together for the good. For those moments of sadness or paralyzation, they work for the good. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to my plans. No, 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 no. Are called according to his purposes, not my plans. We live unto his purposes, and these things will be used for him. Man, in the midst of this, we believe, man, God's going to bring us into a unity of spirit. He's going to bring neighbors to gather around, to step forward, and to step into what this thing is all about. Man, I believe that God can use it. I share this for three reasons. Number one, because sometimes we just tell you the end of the testimony here at NCC, right? Like this, all this happened, and now we're here. We're inviting you into the midst of the middle of the testimony. Like, we don't know what's going to happen over here. So welcome to the middle part of it. That's not so fun. But if you experience the middle part, then the end is a lot more, it's so much more fun. So welcome. I'm giving you an invitation. Number two, <laughs> we need your prayer. Um, man, we don't need you to jump on and do something and work on something. We're moving in the right direction. We really feel confident moving forward, but we just need your prayer. John 6, 29, our work is to have faith in the one who has been sent to pray, to ask for God's favor. Number three, I just think this is a great example of sharing something in the middle of the struggle where we believe in the middle of hardship that God is still accomplishing his purposes. What are we called to do? We're called to embrace 
our season. We're called to embrace the wilderness and understand that God is still on the move, that resistance is what makes your muscles grow, both physically and spiritually as well. We have to understand resistance makes us grow. Our goal is not to get out of the wilderness, but allow the wilderness to get something out of us, right? To, to pull out some praise out of us, to push away some pride out of us, to push some selfishness to the side. We can get something out of us. Don't just push through. No, get something out of the season, the wilderness that you're in right now. Listen, resistance and tearing down and building up, they always go hand in hand in growth. That's how it works. It's not just addition. It's subtraction and addition. When you lift weights, what are you doing? You're tearing down your muscle so that you can build it back up. And then you eat, you, know, you take vitamins and you, you eat proteins. And, but if, if you just do the addition part and you don't have the subtraction, what happens? Well, you don't grow your muscles, you grow your pants size, right? <laughs> and addition becomes addiction. But you can't get to the promised land unless you go through the pain of the wilderness. Every great man of God has to go through a wilderness season. Every great woman of God has to pass through a wilderness season. It's a rite of pa it's a it's God speaks and moves his purposes in the middle of wherever you are. And David knows it. And so he praises God in the midst of it. And here's what David knows. That wilderness is a gift. I recently met a girl named Sarah Snyder, and I'll close with this, uh, who attends NCC. And um, she's new to her faith. But man, her faith is incredibly challenging to me. And um, man, she understands this idea. She understands this principle of in the midst of your pain, I'm going to praise God. And I asked her if I could just share a little bit of her story. And so I want to share what she wrote to me. It was November 2008. When I heard the dreaded words, the biopsy is back, Sarah. You have a desmoid tumor. I remember like yesterday throwing the phone across the room when I heard the dreaded words, tears streaming down my face, looking at my father, hoping he would tell me it wasn't true, but for once there was nothing he could say. I've been praying, wishing, hoping for an answer to pain I've had since my original surgery in 2008 to remove a tumor from my belly. I felt lost, no answers, and frustrated until I came to NCC in April and accepted God into my life and allowed others to pray for me. I asked God to hold me and be there for me during this. I had NCCers praying for me, my friends, my family, Joel. I felt it, and it was amazing when the pain would come, and I would ask him to, and imagine him wrapping his hands around my belly. And so it was. His voice just kept telling me, all you need is within you now. And that was his love. For what I went through, I experienced minimum pain and more joy than I could ever express. He had my hand, my heart, and my future in his hands. He kept telling me, Sarah, I got you. And I believed him. And it was true. And I continue to learn every day. But what a gift. What a gift this tumor has been to me and my hope to so many as I continue to share. This weekend... Sarah's in Philadelphia trying to raise $350,000 uh, for experimental 
uh, testing with this cancer. And she's created her own 5K where they run for this cause. She's stepped up into it. And, and um, it's called Running for Answers. She's doing something about it. But that last line that she wrote, I have a hard time even reading that because it's, I, I just, I have a hard time believing it. What a gift this tumor has been to me and my hope to so many as I continue to share. For Sarah to say that that tumor is a gift, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get it. All I understand is that, that God has brought a revelation to her understanding in the midst of a brutal wilderness season that God can still work in his purposes, in your pain. That this season of wilderness is not devoid of purpose. In fact, it's one of the greatest seasons of purpose that you could ever experience in your life. And she knows it. And she shares it. And even when our foundation crumbles. And when the roof is falling in, God still has a plan in the midst of your pain. In fact, he is the plan in the midst of your pain. In the midst of your pain. So don't step back. Don't sit down. Don't give up. Don't release it. No. Step forward. Believe. Have faith. Step up. Use your mouth to praise. Use your hands to be lifted up and worship to God and believe that he is able to do all things. And he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Let's close it out with the scriptures today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. We are hard-pressed on all sides, but we are never frustrated. We are puzzled, but never in despair. We are persecuted, but we are never deserted. We may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. God, we come to you today in praise. No matter what we've brought into this place, God, we can give you our praise. And we step forward today in praise, God, believing, asking that you will strengthen us in courage, that you will strengthen us in your power, God. We pray that we wouldn't just receive inspiration from preaching, but that we would receive power from your spirit. In the wilderness, it doesn't matter if we have passion from preaching, it matters if we have power from the Spirit. Lord, we'll take power over passion seven days a week and twice on Sunday, God. We desire, we seek your Spirit and that your Spirit would move within us, Lord. That you would give us a David spirit today, God, that Psalm 63 would be written in our heart, that a new song would rise up from within the soil of wilderness and pain within us. And God, I pray today that those who came into this place frustrated with nowhere to go, with, with no purpose for this moment, God, I pray that you would speak and breathe directly into them. And I pray that there would be an encouragement in the brotherhood today, an encouragement in the sisterhood today, God, that somebody could reach out a hand and receive the grace of God in their lives. Because most of us are here today because you have lavished your grace upon us. And we're not here because we are good people or because we are right or because we have it all together. God, we've blown it, every one of us. 
But we know that you are God, that we are your people, and that you lavish grace in generous proportions into our lives. So we pray that you would give it to us right now, God. And we pray that we can stand up today in all of our stuff, and we can step on top of those things and give you praise in the midst of our pain. We pray these things in Jesus' name I ask. Amen.